Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Okay then, so in the studio with us, as we promised you when we started, we have got Yahil Onono from the very brilliant Balamaya Project. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's so good to meet you at last. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> because we've been playing tracks. I mean, from the very first track we heard, we were in love with with the whole ethos, the whole idea, and we'll get into that more. But, you know, you, we usually give a welcome, don't we? So <laughs> let's welcome him with his own music. <laughs> consummate drummer are you not <laughs> i think so <laughs> and uh, i think we can hear that so this this is uh, golo khan mm-hmm. from from the album do you want to tell us a bit about which rhythms you're using so um thank you very much for having me um it's a huge honor to be here and thank you for all your support since we started and put music out um this song is called or this piece is called guloka guloka means the speech of skin in uh, Maningaka and um, the two rhythms that I play are traditional rhythms the first one is called Shemu Foli Shemu is played by the Shemu people of Burkina Faso <clears throat> and um, Shemu Foli literally means the rhythm of the Shemu and this rhythm is usually played when harvest is being collected and to encourage the farmers to work harder uh, the next rhythm I go to is from Mali from a place called Faraba and the rhythm is called Farabaka or the speech of Faraba. And normally, women dance this, this rhythm that's playing now, and they dance in the, um, in the style of a ram. And so they imitate the ram in the dance, and so it's kind of a very common rhythm that we play sometimes at the, the end of um, a singer's praising to kind of lift the volume lift the, and give the space for dancers to dance. But it's also quite intricate in its language. It's very, um, it's very specific to the rhythm. So... I wanted to showcase those very true traditional lang- um, rhythms and their languages on the djembe and just to give a, the listener a very clear understanding of traditional folklore. 
I've seen you play live, you know, I've been lucky enough to see that at WOMAD. And he's been rubbing it in ever since <laughs> <laughs> I was in Ghana. But, but, but it, it, it's just like, um, it's just like that's your artist palette, all those rhythms and mm. all those rituals mm -hmm. and, and the meaning of them, like they underpin everything you do. Yes. But on the other hand, it just looks like everyone's having the most wonderful time and kind of sharing it and 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 yet you're also sharing knowledge as well as rhythm yeah i think um one thing that i've tried not to be cheesy when i'm trying to say things and stuff but one thing that i've tried to underpin with balimara project is innovation rooted in authenticity and so i'm not born and raised on the continent but i was raised with that cultural background, I was raised with that folkloric information and taking the time to cultivate it in a way that suits the experience that I had growing up in Northwest London. So yes, it's rooted in folklore, but it's also rooted in the ease which comes with living in the West. It's rooted in the experiences that I've had here that are unique to here and the diaspora and, and the life that I've lived. And so we have a lot of fun, even though it's pinned in very serious culture and serious rich history we're free to be ourselves because it's a true representation of who we are i'm not trying to make music that's foreign to me everything that i arrange or compose is something that comes naturally to me and informs my kind of musical outlook when did you learn to play and how did you learn to play because you see i thought you probably learned in africa mm -mm. but <laughs> so yeah no, so i was born in central middlesex hospital <laughs> i'm a Harlesden boy um, but I always had an affinity for music and my grandfather, who I was very lucky to have grown up with um, a little bit when I was younger, um, was based in West Africa between Nigeria and Ivory Coast. Um, he used to play the talking drum at ceremonies. Um, he wasn't a professional musician, he was actually an architect and engineer, but he still remembered his tradition to carry on for traditional purposes. And I remember he'd come to visit and I was playing on pots and pans. I was I was just a baby, you know, I was a kid. Playing on pots and pans, he always said it, and he said to my mum a few times, you should get him a drum, you'll, you'll enjoy it. My mum said, oh, don't worry about that, it's fine. He said, you'll grow out of it. I'm three, I'm four, I'm still doing it. So around the age of five, six, my granddad came in with a parcel and gave me a talking drum. And I took it to bed, I, I used to have it at the table, I want a bath with it, even though it's skin, you can't put it in the water, you want to put all of those things, it's in the bathroom with me. I remember in school here, they used to do show and tell. And every time we do show and tell, I will bring the same drum <laughs> and take it with me. And then when I was eight, my mom bought me a djembe. And um, that, the talking drum got put to one side, even though I still play it. But the djembe was the main focus of everything for me. And I was lucky to be involved with a community that was still doing naming ceremonies, that was still doing the traditional marriages, that was still doing the traditional engagements and requirements of a traditional society here in London. I also then had the opportunity to go back home for a while, um, for a couple of years in the Ivory Coast with my grandfather. Saw those things happening on the ground and then had my mum and, and family members that were very encouraging to send me back home every year. And so going to Senegal, going to Gambia, going to Nigeria and going to see all these traditional things happening just kind of fueled my curiosity. Um, going to school, I kind of stopped because I was interested in what everyone else was doing. I was playing basketball. You know, I was talking to girls, doing all the things <laughs> that you do as a teenager. But around the age of 15, 16, that love for our tradition and folklore came back. That love for language, that love for wanting to know more. 
came back um, and almost around the age of 17, I fell under the pupillage of an amazing musician called Siliki Dambele, who's based in Manchester from the Ivory Coast. And um, under his very traditional um, tutelage, you know, and in a very Western space. But I've, since then, I've just been very much involved with the culture, been very much involved in learning, trying to impart the knowledge that I have, share it with my community. Because I've always thought that if you know where you come from, then to go somewhere is a lot easier. But there's, uh, there's an awful lot, I mean a wonderful lot, I should say, <laughs> of, of jazz in what you do. Yes. And so were you, how did you enter the jazz fraternity? The, the jazz bit is one everyone asks me, like, where, where did you come from? You know, no, um, well, I, I don't mean that no, because no. Like, jazz is in, certainly in London. It's all around. It's all uh, over the place. Yeah, and for for lots of good reasons. Mm -hmm. But um, but I just wondered how mm -hmm. you. I think it's just because parallel to having the folkloric like richness of the West African side, I was listening to also a lot of my mom's cassettes and and CDs that she loved. She was I was listening to Herbie Hancock. I was also listening to Dionne Warwick. I was listening to Marvin Gaye. Um, D'Angelo, I was listening to Erica Badu. Um, one of the first um, CDs that I bought with my money was Erica Badu's album, you know? Um, one of the another great album that I remember also buying was Macy Gray, mm -hmm. you know? And um, it w all of those things informed my musical kind of um, understanding. But really with jazz, it came in in my late teens, early adulthood, where... I was already doing traditional, traditional music, but I always loved other styles of music. And um, I moved to the UAE um, my early, uh, I was there for six years, playing music. In the UAE? In the UAE. Wow. I was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for six years. And I was originally with a company where I was arranging a kind of drums of the world kind of uh, experience where you'd have manding drums you'd have the traditional emirati drums you'd have the indian subcontinent kind of mardingam and conical stuff and you'd have um the taiko drums from japan and i arranged all the music to kind of link together as an experience as a show experience in leaving that company went freelance one of the most lucrative things as a musician was to play in like jazz quartets or jazz quintets and i remember someone asked me oh can you play in like a manush jazz trio and I was like, yes, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. But because of the, I always believed that Mandang music is one of, if not the most complex style in the world. It's very unique, very layered. And a lot of the base of jazz, blues, uh, we talk about hip hop, et cetera, et cetera, have their roots in that part of West Africa. Mm -hmm. And the timing, the understanding of polyrhythm, et cetera, et cetera, is so precise, is so intense that going to play another genre isn't necessarily an issue. So I just put myself in the deep, deep end, put, took the gig I was playing, and I played. I remember I was playing snare, djembe, and calabas because I cannot play drum kit. So I played the, the with one hand with a brush, my hand on the calabas on my right hand. And um, I played all the songs. Some of them, the arrangements, I can't catch it because I don't know the standards. But people were asking me, oh, where did you study? What conservatoire did you go to? And I was like, I don't know. I just understand time. Yeah understand time, I understand polyrhythm, I understand what goes with it. And I also use that kind of embedded like um, background learning that you listen to jazz in the kitchen. You know, you go to your auntie's house and they're playing something on the radio and those kind of things that I'd just absorbed that I didn't really know that I'd really engaged with. 
what came out. And for, for six years, that's the music I was doing. I had a kind of baptism by fire, which was very different from the West African kind of formation where I'd just been eased into it and shown this is the way, this is the rhythm, this is the song, this is the different elements. Whereas with the jazz side, I just went straight in and started gigging. And came back to London and the London jazz scene wasn't as huge as it was. And then I came back another year and all of a sudden everyone is playing jazz. That generation from Tomorrow's Royals are now stepping into their own. And I went and I was playing with Family Atlantica who were doing a mix of... um, Yep. Afro-Venezuelan, That's eclectic right. music, exactly. Lutmira Zerpa yes. yeah. and Jackie Iglesias. Mm-hmm. And I went into Depp and then ended up covering um, their percussionist uh, place for their whole European tour. And at the time, I was playing with Youssef Days, who was on kit. And Kareem Days was on bass. So we all oh, toured yeah. together, okay. you see. Yeah. Then there was gigs that they had, like, for example, with United Vibrations. They then invited me to come in. And I noticed that there was this affinity for West African percussion inside the jazz because people are, are coming from their own personal background, right? So Afrobeat, High Life, were two things that were very much a huge influence for the London jazz sound as well as Caribbean music. So there was a space that in other places where Latin jazz and the Congos took a space for, the djembe has a space that could slot in here and to create a sound that's a bit different. And so... Um, Going on from that and playing alongside and going to things like Jazz Refreshed and the, that community that they created, that's how, for me, I stepped into it until I kept being told, when are you going to do your thing? Because you feel like you're adding to what other people are doing, but you have a voice of your own. When are you ready to do it? And then in 2019, I listened to Adam from Jazz Refreshed. I said, okay, uncle, I'm going to do something. He said, when you're ready, let me know. And we did the first show in 2020, in October, and then from there, the rest is history. And that was Balamaya. That was Balamaya project. And what was the inspiration? Because you've got, you, you know, there is an ethos, there is a mm-hmm. vision behind yes. this so Balamaya. The ethos for Balamaya project is not only innovation with authenticity, based in rooted in authenticity, but also the fact that we we are trying to step out of the pigeonholing that happens with music on the African continent. I remember seeing an advert for, like a publisher paid ad for a show at the Jazz Cafe. And um, it was a very specific band from Burkina Faso playing specific cultural music. And it was like, yeah, come and see this African music. Ladysmith Black Mambazo, am I going to listen to Salif Keita? Am I going to listen to Kenyan Kikuyu music? Am I going to listen to Habesha music from Ethiopia? What does that mean? You know, you go to HMV and there's different sections for different genres of European music, of classical music. There's di- all their nuances are given their due respect. And with us, it's just Afrobeat High Life or, you know, that's it. There's world no music. other. Or music, African music, music or world music. And at the time, yes, maybe these terms served for what they needed to serve for. But we come to a point where I think we have a better understanding and we have a duty to be more specific, to be more intentional with the cultures that we're absorbing and we're essentially profiting from and sharing with other people, you know? And so I wanted to, instead of just talking about it, I said, okay, this is what I can do. This is the music that I have that can accurately express my identity, but also can, if I have the opportunity and God gives me long life to do it, create a lane where this is mandang music. There's no confusing it with anything else. And that's why I want the djembe to be there. 
I want the dunun to be there. I want the kora to be there. I don't want the guitar to play like a kora. I want the kora to play like a kora. I don't want the drum kit to play like the dunun. I want the dunun to play like the dunun. And the drum kit can support. And so that was for me, that was that driving force, that motivation, because I wanted us to be heard and seen in our entirety and not as, you know, an influence of something. This is contemporary Mandang music. And this is what in the diaspora, we still value what we believe in. And as young black men, we also value where we're coming from. And uh, the stereotype of of just doing rap or just doing sports or whatever, we can do something else as well. We can take that jazz and we can take that West African music and put the djembe in the front as well and show you that percussion is not just shakers and bells and adding to things. The, the, these instruments were created to lead, mm-hmm. lead ensembles. And that's why I always make sure that the djembe is the bridge and everything is conducted from the front there with that traditional instrumentation. Wow. There's so many avenues I want to explore, but let's have some music because now you've got um, uh, your new album, uh, When the Dust Settles. What what are we going to uh, listen to now so that you can catch your breath and we'll get you a drink of water? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to listen to Four Aziz. Um, Since we're obviously celebrating 50 years of hip-hop and um, a huge inspiration for me was Kendrick Lamar. Mm -hmm. Kendrick Lamar is a huge inspiration for me musically, the way in which he use his voice and music to have a very um, huge effect um, emotionally, touch people and pass on his message. And in doing For Aziz, which is dedicated to my late brother, um, the voice of Afronaut Zoo really brings the music to life. And that kind of um, the aesthetic that I wanted to create was very much reminiscent of um, To Pimp a, Bup- a Butterfly. And that was a huge inspiration for me. So, yeah. Here we go. Project, yeah, for us is indeed. Um, so, do you want to tell us while you're here mm-hmm. about for us is? So, um, my older brother was called um, Abdulaziz Onyame Chionono. Um, he was the oldest child of my mom, and when I was 11, unfortunately, he was killed as a UN peacekeeper um, in Nigeria. There was argue, there was riots in a state called Benue. Um, between the Muslim and Christian population. A long story short, his Christian cohort were kidnapped um, by um, the rebels on the Muslim side. And instead of leaving them and saying, okay, I'm a Muslim, let me go, they would have. He said he was Christian, so he didn't leave them behind, and they were all killed, unfortunately. So um, it was, I was 11. He was a lot older than me. He was around 24, 25 when he died. And watching my mom's grief and seeing what she's going through losing a child, it was kind of a bit awkward for me because again I'm just coming into my double digits and um, having a a sibling that's a lot older you kind of see them more like an uncle as opposed to you know as opposed to um, a a brother or a sibling because I didn't really grow up with him in that way and um, so I didn't feel like I grieved 
in the sense of in that way like oh, i've lost my brother my brother's died i didn't really feel that way um it's only later that you realize that there is a grief that you're feeling or you're shouldering something because now you're an only child you know you're raised mm-hmm. as an only child and you're you're dealing with also a parent that's a grieving a single parent and you so know and exactly so and, uh, all those expectations dreams etc etc though it's not the person wasn't especially present the presence is there in the parent and therefore the pressure that they apply or the the burden that you also impose on yourself is very present as well and so um for Aziz as a track um was important for me to kind of recalibrate my kind of understanding of death and how i process it the death not of a person not just of a person but also of the ideas of you know and how a change in culture, a change in understanding, you know, um, expectations for yourself. And um, also looking at the way we look at death, you know, looking at the way we look at grief as a culture. Um, I'd always felt um, as a young black male coming from a single parent household that you have to shoulder things in a way that's not always healthy. And it's not to say that that's an intrinsic part of black culture, but due to the kind of um systemic things that we go through it then becomes normalized and um looking at death as something that we don't have to just hold on to we can express it but also looking at what death is death is a stage of life that is inevitable you're going to be born you're going to die that's clear so the fear of death is something that is also a bit foreign to our culture as well if you look at it and what zoo does when he's um, extolling the the uriki or the praises of death one will wonder why you're praising death because death has very clear attributes death is not always the end death is you don't get picked and say you're going to die today it's random but death also knows who it takes and what it means to you but also it's very necessary it's a necessary part of life and once we start accepting things as a necessity we stop being afraid of them but we in short start to prepare for it so preparing for that part of life preparing for that journey is very important and just celebrating the joy we're here now you know we're here young old black white whatever we're here now let's do what we can to enjoy ourselves now and um you know not mourn for too long things are lost i read something where someone said um and we have regrets and stuff and someone said if you in a moment of clarity you didn't regret something and you did it, and you're okay with your decision. Why regret later? You're wasting yeah. your time. It's happened. It's done. It's done. Think about it. Know what you can learn and do from uh, learn from it, and move on. Do something else before your time is up. Life is short. So complex that um, whole uh, death and grieving and what it means, and especially when you've got the two very different cultures. You know, the mm-hmm. African culture where we grieve and there's a process. <laughs> Um, when somebody dies that yes. helps you go through it wh- that we don't get um, here so yes. um, I'm finding it very interesting you t- um, talking about that um, and and when we, I, I think about um, the African process there's a, a, a like the drums mm-hmm. of very central there are specific very. Uh, rhythms that um, take the um, deceased into the next world um that kind of uh help the ones uh remaining and so um one of the tracks on um 
the album, uh, the um, Ablution mm -hmm. um, track, I, I found just, it, it just blew me away. Wow. That, that piano and the way that the, the drum rhythms um, mm -hmm. come in, you, you could feel yes. them um, being uh, transported and, and, mm -hmm. and, and taken away. So yes. I suppose um, to get to the question at the end of all that flap was um, how has writing these and kind of um, communing with these uh, cultural uh, rights, how, how did that help you or how did that impact on you when you wrote them and then heard it? Mm -hmm. um, when I, people always ask, how do you feel writing an album and then listening back to things, especially if they're quite deep? So I kind of, with this album, it was quite different from Woloso. Woloso, we played, 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 played. When we went into the studio, we were in the studio, I think, for four days. We recorded everything live mm -hmm. and just went in. With this album, I knew most of the tracks and the band hadn't really played anything. Um, so I knew most of them. Some of them we worked out in studio and or just before. But most of the arrangement, I'd say 90% of the arrangements, I, were all in my head. And I said, okay, guys, we're going into the studio in two weeks. Everyone kind of went, what are we going to record? I said, trust me, we're going to be fine. But we know what to do. Um, we've touched on most of them. Let's go in. And so it was a lot fresher. And so I'm still kind of processing the music. I'm still sitting with the music in a, in a sense. Um, and in creating it and recording in a very different way where everything was done. The drums are done this day. Then the horns are done another day. And guitar and bass and keys come in and do their thing. Then djembe is done last. It was a different process. So you're not hearing the full you know, the full composition and having the time to sit with it. You're just hearing bits and bats and the bones. Mm -hmm. And I have it in my head, but when you have it in your head and you put it down, it sounds a bit different. And um, I think it was only after, when I went into the mixing process, that what emotion do you want to convey here? What do you want the production to tell people? How do you want the drums to sound? Is when I started going, okay, wow, you know, I kind of just methodically said, okay, this rhythm goes with this theme. I'm going to play this rhythm. This uh, this will be emotional here. Let's let's. I'm going to write the strings here, and we're going to put the strings in. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel, help me write these string parts. Let's put these in here. You know, but it was just methodical. Whereas really later, when everything is in, and I'm now mixing it, and I want to convey that message, not only with the pieces, but with the production, and how things are mixed and mastered, that kind of went, wow. I'm really kind of understanding the weight of it um, and um, the traditional rights really came to the fore for me when I was applying the kind of uh, it's so hard to explain when I was applying kind of the techniques that were used and the language I was playing and realizing later on oh I played this I played this but just to my I, I just did things automatically almost but later on it kind of hit me and um, but it was just again, like I said, you, there's so many things that you absorb, and it's when you put it out into the world that you you make those kind of automatic selections, yes. and you put it into the music, and your your mind or your psyche goes to what you need, and you just grab it, and you put it in, and afterwards you kind of go, wow, you sit back and you look at the full picture, and everyone just goes, wow, that's that's that really makes sense, you know. Um, 
so yeah, this it's been a huge process for me. I'm still processing now. You, you seem to be. Um, I mean, I said at the beginning it was like uh, having uh, a kind of honoured relative, <laughs> and the kind of honoured relatives often bring you information that you don't have and help you process information and philosophise about life mm. and philosophise about your place in the world and the way music works and things like that. But you, you seem to be a sort of t- 21st century pan-West African uh, griot. No, I'm not griot at all. I, 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 know, I, know, I know you're, you're not mm. that. Born into. Yes. And yet you are. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I just got the impression from talking to one mm. of the people in your band mm-hmm. uh, that what a joy it is to be in the band, mm. how they feel that, that they're entirely privileged mm. to be in this band um, being led by someone like you. Mm. Um, and I just, I kind of wonder um, if you, if there was a sort of, if you went through a purple patch in which you suddenly realised these powers. I think I'm just... Um, First of all, whoever it is, I'm very honoured that they feel that way. I've always just tried to create a space where um, everyone feels safe, um, everyone feels heard, and they can be themselves. I know what it is to be in spaces, especially playing our music, where it's not really the audience that doesn't look like you. Sometimes the band members don't look like you. And that significance, that power, that understanding of just maybe sometimes just innate rhythm is not even present. Whereas when we're in a space where I don't need to codify what I'm saying, um, I don't need to adjust the way I speak, I, you know, and other people can can mirror that, it really can take a mental load off. And so I don't think I have any powers per se or anything. I think I'm just trying to create a space that I would like to be in. And so I feel like the people that are with me on this journey um, resonate with that because there are spaces that they, that they would like to be in as well. So um, it's just, it, it's a joy for me to play with them as well. It's a joy to play with everybody. And I wouldn't be able to do what, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without each other. So um, even instrumental, I don't play the bass, I don't play guitar, I don't play horns. So I need them to pass on the message that I want to pass on. So I'm just eternally grateful and it's a journey that I'm on. I'm learning. I'm not. I'm not. I'm intentional with the music. But in terms of the atmosphere and the vibe with everybody, we create it together. I try and just create the space for that to happen. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Um, yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, and uh, yeah, the the other thing that I didn't add was about your humility, oh. <laughs> and that, that just shone out of what you just said. Anyway. Um, I want to hear some more music. Mm. Where are you going to take us? Um, I wanted to touch on the the piece that you spoke about earlier, which is called Sule's Ablution. Um, Suleiman was a son, was my son that I had when I was 16. Unfortunately, he passed away after a year uh, in this world. Um, and I didn't really deal with the grief of that very well. Um, so it's only now as an adult that I'm processing. I have my own two daughters now that I'm I'm dealing with it and moving on and trying to let go so yeah 
it's a very beautiful track. We've played it and I want to hear it again. <laughs> is my track of the year it's <laughs> just so beautiful what i'd like to ask you about this track um and i'm probably totally wrong in in ghana um when somebody pa uh, passes away uh one of the central rites is washing <laughs> body the ablution so i was just wondering if it's the same so uh no but there's a washing. So the ablution that I'm referring to is um, the, my own ablution of the kind of grief and, um, you know, the, the weight that it left with me, I guess, of kind of internalizing a lot of that um, grief, I guess, trauma as well. And um, the ablution is in when the, the rhythm starts. This rhythm is used normally when we are taking... Um, someone has passed away, and after the 40 days, we played the Zinni, and we played Nigeria, Bena, and parts of Togo and Ghana, I think, played as well. Um, we played the Zinni after the 40 days of mourning, because in the Islamic community, we do 40 days. So after the 40 days, we played the Zinni to kind of help that spirit move on, if that makes sense. Um, I hadn't done the Zinni for myself, so... It was important to play the 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 zinli and combine with the bata as well um, from the Yoruba tradition mm. to kind of push. That is the ablution. That's the part where we wash. That's the part where the ritual process happens. We filmed a kind of uh, a music video for Sule's ablution um, in Senegal. I took the band to Senegal um, for a lot of guys for the first time in February of this year, and. Um, <clears throat> Amazing video, uh, videographer and um, photographer Adeola Osibodu from Nigeria joined us and we did a video for it and the whole premise of that video was to show the washing, to show the aid that we have from relying on people and then leaving that sacred space with a tool to move forward. doesn't mean that the process gets easier. doesn't mean that when you've done Zinli you can go back and smile again. But it means that you then have the tools with which to cope. You have the dance moves to accompany the music. If you put it that way, it's yeah. part of the process, the That's rites, it. the rituals. That's absolutely beautiful, and that video is done. Oh, thank you, absolutely stunning. <laughs> thank you very much. Watched it ve several times. Thank you. Um, well, so I, 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 it was ablution, but not of. Uh, the body of the corpse, going, no, no, no. Yeah, because in in Ghana, it's a big thing. Yeah, you know, the washing of the body is very important. Yeah. Yes, the washing of the body in our culture also is very important. Yeah, uh, you know, um, cleaning the body, making sure the body looks nice and prepared. Yes, but um, in this case, it's it was it was internal. Yeah, behind. yes. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. So, but but I mean, you know, that's the way art works, isn't it? Like you're the listener, you know, you, you interpret it as what well, exactly. Yes, exactly. So you're absolutely right too. You're right too. I, I'm just to kind of um, 
technical notes, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you you've just told us that you were singing, and yes. like we we think, what a great voice you have, and you sing it with such a wonderful passion. You know, we can feel oh, thank the you. emotions for sure. Thank you. Um, but also, I, I wondered about the piano part because, like, mm. uh, I just wondered how you negotiated the pl- piano part. Like, did you write it or? I didn't write the piano part. Um, when I brought this, this is one of the two rid- of the two pieces that I brought, kind of the day before. I think this one was the day before we went into the studio, and um, uh, the other improvisational piece that we did in the studio was uh, Red Oil featuring Obong Jaya. Oh. And um <laughs> what a track, what a guy. <laughs> it could be the final track. But anyway, we were going to start the show with it actually. I was going to start with the red. Um Jamal Wilson actually I I told everyone the story of it. A lot of guys didn't know and it was a really beautiful moment where everyone came and you know kind of consoled me. I didn't I wasn't especially over-emotional, but people came over and gave their condolences, which was very nice, because I don't really share um, that much about myself. And um, so I sang the melody, which was the line that I'm singing, and I wanted to work something out around it, and Jamal worked it out on the keys, and that kind of just... The theme of water, and the theme of washing, and the theme of water as a as a um a path not just the road as a path but water and traveling and back and forth it's a huge theme in this album and um that piano part is almost like rowing back and forth it's grooving mm. you know just back and forth and in so, the end it does sort of sail away exactly yeah. over the rhythm but that's just such mm-hmm. a clever piece of uh, yeah. musicianship that's mm-hmm. happening there the way that the the rhythm integrates into mm-hmm. the piano rhythms and mm-hmm. uh, you can't see the joint. <laughs> yeah, it was the uh, Jamal did a really good job with that piano piece and then even in the studio I hadn't planned to add the zilli but then I was listening to the piece and then I said ah this can work let's try this and we just added it in and um, we arranged it that way and we have what we have in front of us now. Um, how do you feel that this? I mean, you've 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 explained how the kind of process of creating this album was different mm-hmm. to the first one, but um, but I feel that I didn't think about it. I mean, you know that I really loved the first mm-hmm, one because mm-hmm, I rushed mm-hmm. about it. But um, thank you. But I, I I was kind of surprised and delighted by. This this step forward, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like one of the things is the variety of of what you bring. Mm-hmm. I mean, both in term in every way, like you know, subject matter, mm-hmm. rhythms, uh, all the all the kind of relevance to uh, your life and your heritage is. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the whole thing about having thirteen people in the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of them with a, a, a heritage that means that they can enter the whole kind of cultural um, flow and enclosure that you make. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It it just seems a wonderful thing. Mm, yes. Um, you know, it's, if only the world <laughs> throughout was like that, it would be a different place. Mm, yes. Um, I think 
the process was very different. Um, I, I believe, and I wanted it to be a step forward. I wanted it was intentional for it to be a step forward. Um, um, I wanted this album to be bolder, and therefore it required me to give more. Wulusa was great in terms of um, opening the band and showing who we are and what we represent in, in broader themes and broader strokes. Um, but I wanted to be more specific um, with this album. I wanted to be more intentional. I wanted to look at how we produce things. I wanted to look at how we can make the production cleaner. Um, I wanted to look at my songwriting. I wanted to look at how I arrange. I wanted a more fluid... I want it to be an immersive experience for the listener, for them to feel like they've listened to the album and come out with something. They've listened and they've taken and interpreted something. That's why from the music to the visuals to the way that the message is put across, either on social media or however, when we do our headline show at the Barbican on the 17th of October, um, not only will it be the 13 piece that will be there, but I think we go up to 27. It's going to be an orchestra. The string section mm. will be there, etc., etc. And I want it to also include the visuals. I want it to be an immersive experience for the audience. And as much as I can control that, um, because I think our music is worth it. When we look at the production of a lot of our traditional music, the music is sublime, but it's not produced well. Yeah. If I'm honest, it's not produced well. There are many great, for example, djembe players that have amazing albums. But the production is not as it could be that will capture the complexity of what they're doing. And so for me, in, I feel like this album, I really wanted to push myself in terms of a sonic, technical kind of way, learn the kind of language that I'd need. So our engineer, who's amazing, Marcus Lowcock, did an amazing job. He engineered the first album and engineered the second one as well. Um, how we can push and create a more of immersive experience, how can we create a story as opposed to just pieces of music that are just stuck as what they are. So um, the process is very different, the recording process, but I think also the band, because we've been playing together for so long, we've toured together, we've essentially been in Senegal for 10 days, not one fight, argument, anything, no, no, no. We then went from Senegal a week later, we went to Abu Dhabi for five days, then a week later we then went to Austin, for South by Southwest mm -hmm. and anyone else would be either exhausted or you know um, kind of fed up of everyone you're sharing rooms everyone's tired but we all found a way cohesively to make it work for everybody those that we saw that were uncomfortable we gave them unconsciously space so that they could relax you know and that showed itself in the music as well um, so Yes, it's it's a different process, but it's it's a step forward in every aspect as well. So, um, I it's true, like you said, the um, if we all in the world we just worry about our circle and try and make everyone around us that we can kind of impact directly. If we just worry about making ourselves comfortable for ourselves, but for other people as well. If everyone did that, there would be a ripple effect, I believe. And um, so, yeah, I think. Um, well, it works. That's an important date, though. Like just, oh, 27th just of October. The 17th of oh, October. 17th. It's all right. <laughs> that's possibly oh, an important gosh, date, too. But, but the one that 17th. we've got is the 17th. 17th, but yeah. I better yes. write it down. <laughs> I will absolutely be there. Please because come. for me, this album, um, I love the first one, Wall or So, but th this one, I don't know, just 
mature is the wrong word, uh, concept album is the wrong mm. uh, uh, phrase, but th- you can s- feel and hear the thought mm. and the um, m- mastery from beginning to end. You, you know, you can just hear the progress, the progression mm. of um, your um, compositions and um, mm. h- how you make your music. And long may it uh, continue i'm thinking hmm never mind difficult second album difficult (laughs) third album (laughs) what you gonna do next (laughs) but you know enjoy this um uh while 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 you can and uh it's a classic Mm. honestly thank you so much it's it will never wear out thank you so much so um but you you talked about red oil which uh both max and i really really like and um Bongiam might be my. Yeah, I'm so fickle. There, here I am saying, "Oh, this is wonderful." And then next thing I'm going to say, "Bongiam, my artist of the moment." <laughs> but to have you both together, ooh. <laughs> so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. And okay. So um, this is one of the more different sounds on the album, and also the second uh, most. I guess it was improvised completely. I'd gone in with with an idea. Then we rehearsed before, then the idea changed. And actually, Red Oil and When the Dust Settles, the two songs were meant to be together as one piece. Oh. And um, at first, it was actually Angatlo and When the Dust Settles were meant to be together. Then I separated them completely. And then Red, and then When the Dust Settles was meant to segue into Red Oil. And then I wanted it, no, I wanted it separate as well. So um, Red Oil... And Beyond Kingdom Come uh, are the two titles. In Igbo um, proverb, it says that um, proverbs are the red oil with which words are eaten. So this was made famous by Chino Achebe when he did the book Things Fall Apart. But it's a common Igbo um, proverb that's used by um, my grandparents and aunties and uncles when they get together. Because they use a lot of proverbial speech. And, uh, which makes Igbo such a difficult language. Um, is the red oil palm oil? Yes, palm oil, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but we call it, in, in West Africa, a lot of the time we call it red oil. Mm-hmm. So um, um, the way in which masquerades speak, um, masquerades do have a voice, and they're meant to be representatives of the spirit world in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Obongjaya's kind of guttural speech in this, which is a bit fractured and, you know, disjointed in this piece, is reminiscent to me of a masquerade. It's reminiscent of a spirit coming back to remind you of who you are, remind you that you will endure. Regardless of all the noise, regardless of anything else, you will still be here. Whether it's racism, whether it's um, stereotyping, microaggressions, whether it's grief, whether it's anger or mental health, you will still be here. You just have to hold out. And Beyond Kingdom Come was actually the title that Obong Jaya gave his piece. And I wanted to honour both of those concepts. And um, yes, it was meant to be very different. It's meant. It's not meant to be musical. It's meant to be an experience. You're experiencing the mind of a masquerade. You're experiencing those disjointed thoughts. If you see a masquerade in action, he will stand still one moment. And you have a, maybe one of them will have a cutlass and a whip. Mm-hmm. The next thing, he goes to the right and he'll be flogging everything in sight. Next thing, he'll be hailing you. 
He is not, he's not human. He doesn't have the kind of rational thought that we'd consider to be rational. But the masquerade always is meant to be a higher being. Those spirits are meant to have gone to another plane and everything has reason. So despite its disjointing, it makes sense and it comes to a culmination at the end of the tune. But I'll leave you guys to play it and see if it makes sense. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I've had a bit of experience with the um, masquerades mm -hmm. and, that, and it, it's a very powerful and sometimes frightening Very frightening. <laughs> <experience. laughs> very frightening. Um, yeah, it's, it's been great talking to you. Thank you Thank so, you so much, much for, for coming me. in. Thank you so much and for And good luck me. with everything. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, it's um, it's been a real privilege mm. having you here, truly. And um, you know, it'd be great to see you again. And um, maybe, although we can't fit thirteen people in the room, <laughs> if you thought about having a little smaller uh, <laughs> unit, well, we can we can we can try. We can try. We can try. No problem. Yeah, I mean, that that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, you are good luck. And, and the big gig, we said, the 17th, 17th. of October. Had, but yes. are you doing other... Um, we, have a, we have a Paris show on the 8th of September, um, which is, I think, two weeks, just over two weeks. Where? Um, at La Villette. Uh, La Granale is for Jazz à la, uh, à la Villette, the festival. Mm -hmm. We're playing alongside Six Sun, which is a well-known uh, jazz fusion band. But the 17th of October is the date. Um, I don't know if you know Asma Hamzawi. Um, she's one of the leading uh, Ginawa, female Ginawa players coming out of Morocco and she'll be yeah. opening. She's oh, coming well, from Marrakesh and she'll be coming to play and We've open. Yeah. yeah, with her quartet or quintet will be coming to play and open the show. Obong Jaya will be guesting on the show as well. Brilliant. Afronaut Zoo will be guesting and some other surprise guests. Well, so. you've got to be there, people. Get those tickets now because I bet they're flying out <laughs> from the Barbican. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Max and Rita. Thank you. I only know, is it Ushi? Thank you. Ushi <laughs> gone, Ushi gone, thank Ushi you. Gone. <laughs>